0: I just love seeing you all come in like this. He's talking about the new refiners joining the Severed Patreon page. Just $5 a month and no cranial drill required. Go to patreon.com slash severed pod.
1: Okay, you're all set. Severed, the
0: ultimate severance podcast. Hey there, refiner. I am so glad your Audi just cannot stay away. You've once again found yourself listening to Severed, the ultimate severance podcast. I'm your host, Alan S. There hasn't been a new episode of Severance since the spring of 2022, and we probably won't be seeing Season 2 until well into 2024. Since there are no new files coming from upstairs for us to discuss, here on the Severed Floor, we've been using our free time to look into those things that inspired and guided Dan Erickson as he was creating Severance. I've been calling it the Severed Origin Series, and hey, it's better than constantly searching for another series that's going to scratch your severance itch. They just aren't out there. If you've been with me up to this point, you know Dan has listed a number of movies as guideposts for his creativity. That's why we've taken in-depth looks at Brazil, The Matrix, and Office Space. Dan has also mentioned some oddball inspirations, like the Sizzler Corporate video, which we did a breakdown on back in August. For today's Origins episode, I'm wanting to take a look at a couple more of those oddball sources of inspiration Dan has mentioned. The first is an internet urban legend or creepy pasta called The Backrooms. The aesthetic of The Backrooms is visible all over Severance. The other place where I think we should shine a light is in the world of computer gaming, in particular, a game called The Stanley Parable. Dan has mentioned it as both an aesthetic inspiration, but also one that provided a unique take on storytelling. We've got two short but interesting files to have a look at today, refiners. Let's kick things off with a deep dive into the backrooms. <laughs> This one requires some background, some explanation, and some understanding. Unless, of course, you're already into internet creepypasta. If you're asking creepy what, then we're starting on the same page. I was asking the same thing about 10 days ago. Then I started digging into this unusual source of severance inspiration. Those of you already familiar with this stuff, apologies. For the rest of us, we have to start with the basics. For instance, what exactly is a creepy pasta? Well, It's a word that was created on the sometimes shady internet forum and image board called 4chan. It's based on the earlier term copypasta, which was also created on 4chan. Copypasta is a post made up of copied and pasted text. A copypasta post feels a little disjointed and often has some questionable sourcing. A creepy pasta is the same disjointed, not sure where it came from kind of post, only they have a decidedly scary feel to them. The term creepypasta first appeared on 4chan in about 2006. It was a mashup of the word creepy and the previously created term copypasta. According to sociologists who study our behavior on the internet, these creepy pastas are the internet's version of legends. Instead of telling these tales around a campfire, we're spinning spooky yarns in subreddits and 4chan threads with words, pictures, and videos. Before they even had a name, many creepy pastas were being told through a very basic media the text of chain emails. One of the earliest stories ever posted as an internet legend was the tale of Ted the Caver. It first appeared on the blog site Angel Fire in about 2001. The Ted saga was written in the first person by a guy named Ted who was exploring an ever more disturbing and scary cave system. Ted's story was a full-blown written legend. Many creepypastas are now launched by simply posting a picture. There might be a question or some very slight explanation included. The best creepypastas inspire other users to add to the story. Popular creepypastas in the 4chan X thread touch on the paranormal. They include weird images trapped by CCTV, ghostly apparitions in the backgrounds of pictures, and sometimes places that just feel a little off. This last type of picture was the inspiration for the backroom's creepypasta that made such an impression on Dan Erickson. The mythology of the backrooms is a relatively recent creation. The very first backrooms post went up on May 12th of 2019 in the 4chan X thread. An anonymous user was asking others to post disquieting images that just feel off. The original posted photo of a backroom space was a large empty room with a visible hallway extending away from it to the back of the picture. There's a drop ceiling with inset fluorescent light panels, ugly greenish-yellow walls, yellowish carpeting, and a general yellowish tint over the entire scene. The yellowish tint is a common trait of backroom's photos. It's because most people don't know how to white balance a camera for fluorescent lights. Backroom spaces also never reveal access to the outside. There are no windows or outside doors in the backrooms. Sound familiar, refiners? It's not known where this first glimpse of the backrooms was taken. The original poster most likely didn't take the original photo because this photo was also seen in an earlier post from April of 2018. On the internet, a photo is a photo. We flip by hundreds or even thousands a day as we scroll through social media and web searches. Making a photo stand out and really become something special requires a mythology. The backroom's mythology was supplied by a second anonymous poster the day after the original photo was posted. This Lovecraftian poet wrote the following about the original picture. Quote, if you're not careful and you no-clip out of reality into the wrong areas, you'll end up in the backroom's. A uh, quick aside here. No clip is a video gaming term. It means you've got a cheat code or there is some control that allows your player character to pass through walls or other solid objects. So if you no clip out of reality, that's how you wind up in the back rooms. This poster is also the one who gave a name to this space. They continue, quote, the back rooms are nothing but the stink of old, moist carpet, the madness of mono-yellow, the endless background noise of fluorescent lights at maximum hum buzz, and approximately six million square miles of randomly segmented empty rooms to be trapped in. God save you if you hear something wandering around nearby, because it sure as hell heard you." Unquote. This one paragraph was enough to catch the imagination of users on 4chan, Reddit, and fandom. It established the name and set down some of the basic traits of a backroom, such as old carpeting, a yellow tint, and buzzing fluorescent lights. Days after the original post, Backrooms themed stories started to appear on the subreddit Creepypasta. Later, a new subreddit called simply Backrooms was created just for the fans of this new phenomena. As of November 2023, the Backrooms subreddit was host to 282,000 members, making it one of the larger subs on the site, and it is still growing rapidly. Offshoot subs, which are names starting with either backrooms or the backrooms, have grown up since. They're dedicated to backroom specifics like theories, stories, and one is even dedicated to general backrooms writing. Psychologists think the original backrooms concept is so universally appealing because it plays off the unsettling nature of what have been dubbed liminal spaces. The concept of liminality is tied to making passage from one place to another. It was first used to describe the ambiguity that sometimes comes with a rite of passage, such as adolescence. As the person on the journey is changed, they will experience periods where they haven't completed the next stage, but are in the process. A gangly, pimply faced teenage boy with a deep voice is in a liminal state. Not quite a man, definitely not still a boy. He's somewhere in the process of changing. Being stuck in this metaphorical passage of change is considered a state of liminal existence. Being in a liminal state can be unsettling, it causes anxiety. You usually want to get through the liminal space and onto the next thing. The Backrooms is so unsettling and creepy because it is trapping users in literal liminal passageways. The Journal of Environmental Psychology has identified empty passageways, long hallways, or other eerie physical places as having this liminal quality. It's the uncanny valley of architecture marked by physical spaces that are somehow not exactly right. Sometimes a normally busy space, like the hallways of a high school, could become a liminal space after hours in low light. The weirdness comes from the juxtaposition of this normally very busy space, with the eeriness of it being empty and quiet. Liminal space imagery has this feeling of the in-between, getting from one place to another. Stairwells, corridors, hotels, even roads can have a liminal quality, especially if they are devoid of people. Long back hallways in abandoned shopping malls are a perfect example of a liminal space. Physical spaces that appear familiar but are rendered eerie due to a lack of people can elicit responses of liminal unease among viewers. Fan support for the backrooms expanded onto Twitter and TikTok where videos were posted. Fan wikis were created on Fandom and Wikidot. All adding to the lore of the backrooms. There is a ton of backrooms content out there. The backrooms concept was fueled by some very creative and a few thoroughly freaked out social media posts. People wrote stories reporting on their adventures in the backrooms. More photos of backroom spaces were posted. Backrooms were discovered in cities all over the world. Entities, malevolent creatures, and unexplained phenomena would sometimes pop up in the backrooms, but these were rare and pretty isolated. The backrooms projects its unsettlingly creepy vibe primarily because it's empty. The most common posts are always of more and more backroom spaces, all with that yellowish tint and a feeling that something is off. The gaming website Kotaku has cited this crowdsourced collaborative aspect of the legend and the fact that there is no overt horror for the huge success of the Backrooms Creepypasta. The lore of the Backrooms grew, much like a Dungeons & Dragons dungeon being created by thousands of dungeon masters. They posted stories, they came up with backstories, mythos, and creatures which might exist around the next gloomy corner. Every room was potentially a new world, an entirely new environment, but all with the same dingy carpet and yellow tinge. Scrolling through any of the backroom's threads, it's easy to see how Dan Erickson was cribbing ideas for the severed floor. The pictures are stark, empty, weird, and almost always very, very corporate. Mark's first walk through the maze of hallways to get to MDR could have been the start of a backroom's adventure. Even though the backrooms concept was limitless, users decided they needed even more places to get lost in the backrooms. The original level created by the first post from 2019 was dubbed Level Zero. It was the one with long carpeted fluorescent lit dingy hallways all with a yellow tint. It was decided by certain fans who must not have liked yellow that other levels might exist either next to or on top of the original backrooms areas. Level 1 was added to the mythos as a level with industrial architecture instead of the doomed and dirty office look. Then Level 2 was added to the mix. Level 2 is denoted by long, darkly lit service tunnels. The levels concept has exploded. Users are now stacking their own unique levels on the pile. I recently saw a video clip labeled by the poster as Level 232. It was a panning shot looking back and forth down an endless and empty grocery store aisle. The mythos behind the backrooms is nothing new in the worlds of either sci-fi or horror. When reporting on the phenomenon, PC Gamer compared the various levels created for the backrooms to H.P. Lovecraft's Lost City of Rillia. The Adjustment Bureau from Philip K. Dick also utilizes backrooms and hidden spaces to move around within reality. Why would empty office spaces, especially hallways, be scary? Tam Lever, who is a professor of Internet Studies at Curtin University in Australia, believes the fear stems from our brains interpreting what's not shown. The horror comes from the feeling of wrongness that permeates each space. These aren't places you would want to stay. By their very nature, they aren't places designed for anyone to stay in them. They are passageways to other places. This sense of needing to move through the place you're in is part of the weird pull of the backrooms. The spread of the original creepypasta was so quick and it got so huge, some users decided they preferred Coke Classic instead of these newer flavors of the backrooms. In January of 2022, Reddit user LiveBeep created the subreddit, True Backrooms. This subreddit was focused only on the original level zero of the Backrooms. As of this recording, there are just under 20,000 users in the True Backrooms sub. As mentioned, Backrooms, just the compound word alone, is the largest subreddit devoted to this topic with nearly 300,000 users. For every huge subreddit, there are always a few copycats out there. You could also join nearly 66,000 users in a sub called The Backrooms, all one word. These folks are also creating and expanding the Backrooms mythos. Other subs like Backrooms Memes, The Backrooms Game, and The Backrooms Simulator have grown up to support other aspects of the Backrooms phenomenon. And yes, there are several Backrooms video games out there. The Backrooms may have influenced the development of Severance, but the Backrooms itself is also continuing to develop. In January of 2022, the month before the first episode of Severance would drop, the Backrooms got a pretty cool video treatment. A 16-year-old named Kane Parsons, he goes by Kane Pixels on the internet, produced a short horror film based on and inspired by The Backrooms. It rocketed to 30 million YouTube views right after it was posted and currently sits at over 53 million views. For an intense 9-minute introduction to the creepy world of The Backrooms, this video is Perfect. You should really check it out. It's on YouTube called The Backrooms, then in parentheses the words found footage. Look for the one posted by Kane Pixels. It'll be the only one with 53 million views. Be ready to be a little freaked. It's only nine minutes long, but New Jersey radio station WPST has called it the most frightening video on YouTube. You'll feel like you're in a goldenrod version of The Severed Floor. Kane has added a boogeyman, but the monsters really aren't the focus of the backrooms. The sense of creepiness, the feeling that there might be something weird or frightening around any turn, those are the things that really make the backrooms take up residence in your brain. The 16-year-old who produced the found footage video said it took him a month. His name is Kane Parsons of California. Kane is widely regarded as being responsible for bringing the backrooms out of the internet community shadows and making it accessible to a broader audience. Depending on who you talk to, that's either great or horrible. Kane built his opus in the 3D modeling program Blender and in Adobe After Effects. Considering this is a kid working alone and only on nights and weekends, what he created is pretty impressive. Kane was so inspired by the success of his initial offering, he expanded his Backrooms universe. Kane has now produced a total of 16 Backrooms videos, including the original. They range in length anywhere from 2 minutes to 14 minutes. The 16 different pieces present a story through what is identified as found footage. Included are old videos of experiments complete with stretched and wowing VHS tape effects and really bad CG screens with experiment names and dates on them. There's a clip showing how a portal to the backrooms was opened. We also see extensive body cam footage from the researchers who ventured into this weird space. This expanded story universe includes workers in hazmat suits scouting the backrooms, According to the snippets of video, all of this work and research was being done by a company called Async back in the 1980s. Since then, the Async team has been exploring and conducting experiments in the back rooms. There have been unexplained disappearances and some sightings of less-than-earthly-looking creatures roaming the halls. If you're a Lost fan, these videos Kane has produced feel like distant cousins to the Dharma Initiative videos. They have the same very dated feel and creepy vibe, all in the name of science. Kane has taken the backroom's mythos to a new level with his found footage series of mini documentaries. Some things have been drawn from threads and crowdsourced ideas, but there are other things that were Kane's own invention. The 16 videos together have garnered a total of more than 100 million views. Like with the creepypasta Slenderman, the studios are now seeing dollar signs flashing around the backrooms. They think there just might be a movie in those dingy yellow hallways. Rob Beshiza from Boing Boing predicted this very thing in 2019. He said the backrooms was so cool it was destined to eventually be adapted into its own, quote, slick but dismal two-hour Hollywood movie. He was most likely basing his comments on the 2018 Slenderman movie. Slenderman was also a hugely popular creepypasta, but its movie adaptation was a bomb. On Rotten Tomatoes, it currently sits at a pretty bleak 8% on the critics' tomato meter. User reviews aren't much better. The Slenderman only notches a 16% with audiences, so definitely not fresh. Hopefully, the Backrooms project won't be as bleak or poorly realized as Slenderman. The studio taking on the Backrooms is A24. The Manhattan-based independent has a reputation for bringing the weird and edgy and Aronofsky to the mainstream. They found and distributed Ex Machina and Brie Larson's room. A24 has also asked 17-year-old auteur Kane Parsons, to direct. The adaptation was announced in February of 2023. Although Parsons has mapped out the story being told in the 16 shorts, the studio did bring in veteran screen and TV writer Rob Petino to wrangle it all onto the screen. No word as to how many of Kane's original story ideas will be included, but since he's directing, I'm betting he will have a lot of input. Production on the movie was set to begin in the summer of 2023 until the strikes delayed things. Parsons, who is still in high school, was planning to complete primary shooting over the summer of 2023. He will either have to drop out of school or move his shoot to the summer of 2024. Next summer, he'll be a high school graduate directing a movie. Now there's a cool summer job. So, Refiners, it's possible we will be seeing a Backrooms movie coming out about the same time as the second season of Severance. Won't that be interesting? The other source of inspiration I was wanting to take a look at during today's Origins episode is a video game called The Stanley Parable. Just like with the creepypasta, I needed to do some research on this one. Stanley is quite refreshingly much different than what I had expected. So if you're ready, refiners, close down the back rooms. It's time to open the file called The Stanley Parable. The Stanley Parable is a very unique, non-combat, first-person graphic adventure game. I've seen it called a mind-bending game that plays you. You start the game from the point of view of a man named Stanley. We are seated at Stanley's desk in his cubicle in the company
1: where he happily works. This is the story of a man named Stanley. Stanley worked for a company in a big building where he was employee number 427.
0: As the game progresses, you realize you are controlling Stanley, kinda. A very smooth narrator with a warm British accent can be heard describing Stanley's place in the world and in the company.
1: Employee number 427's job was simple. He sat at his desk in room 427 and he pushed buttons on a keyboard. Orders came to him through a monitor on his desk, telling him what buttons to push, how long to push them, and in what order.
0: We find out on this particular day that Stanley's co-workers have not shown up for work. Something might be wrong. He had been at
1: his desk for nearly an hour when he realized that not one single order had arrived on the monitor for him to follow. No one had showed up to give him instructions, call a meeting, or even say,
0: Hi. Stanley leaves his office to investigate. At first, he's worried he might have missed a memo about a meeting. Stanley does not seem
1: to be the sharpest of employees. All of his co-workers were gone. What could it mean? Stanley decided to go to the meeting room. Perhaps he had simply missed a memo.
0: I have not played the Stanley parable, but I did find a full playthrough video on YouTube. What I watched was labeled as the 2013 standalone version. I really thought, as I was listening to the narration for the first time, the opening was a cutscene. In video games, there will be connective scenes between gameplay levels. Sometimes they use voice actors and animation, sometimes it's voiceover narration. You might get basic story exposition or info about the next level, but more often than not, these scenes aren't very important and can be skipped after you've seen them the first time. Stanley starts out feeling like an introduction cutscene. I was ready at any point for the narrator to stop talking and play would be handed over
1: to the character. Feeling a wave of disbelief, Stanley decided to go up to his boss's office, hoping he might find an answer there. It never happens.
0: The narrator keeps talking. He's describing what Stanley is doing, but you start to notice he might be leading Stanley, even though Stanley is allowed at certain points to make his own choices. You start to wonder if Stanley should be listening to the narrator, following the narrator's instructions, such as going through a left-hand
1: door. When Stanley came to a set of two open doors, he entered the door on his left.
0: May result in death. Once you die, you reset and start over again in Stanley's office. You always start over. There's even a load screen that says the end is never over and over. The narration begins again. You know where you're going, so you can speed up Stanley's movements. The narration speeds up with you. When you get to the space with the two doors, you can
1: choose to go through the right hand door, but the narrator won't like it. This was not the correct way to the meeting room, and Stanley knew it perfectly well. Perhaps he wanted to stop by the employee lounge first, just to admire it.
0: The unique aspect of Stanley is this interaction with the narrator. The narrator is playing against the usual video game tropes of repeated cutscenes. This guy reacts to what you're doing during gameplay. He makes snarky comments. He talks directly to you as the character of Stanley.
1: Look, Stanley, I think perhaps we've gotten off on the wrong foot here. I'm not your enemy. Really, I'm not. I realize that investing your trust in someone else can be difficult, but the fact is that the story has been about nothing but you all this time. Eventually, the game and the
0: narrator start to mess with you. Although we've been to the room several times where we see the left and right-hand doors, you may get to one playthrough where suddenly there aren't any doors. There's a room with a red or blue door choice. The narrator tells Stanley to go through the red door. Later, after getting stuck in an endless loop because of this choice, the narrator and the animation will work hard to hide the blue door option from you as the player. The blue door winds up on another wall. The red door, which has killed you before, is now surrounded by poorly drawn arrows pointing to it as the way. There's a madcap comic air about the entire thing. This is fostered and maintained by the excellent work of narrator Kevin Brighting.
1: Stanley is quite a boring fellow. He has a job that demands nothing of him, and every button that he pushes is a reminder of the inconsequential nature of his existence.
0: Brighting is a British actor who was discovered through a submission to the game's creator, David Reedon. Reedon and William Pugh designed and wrote the game. Reedon said he wanted to create a game where the player had to stop and consider what if at various points. The player has the option to go against the suggestions of the narration, and the narration responds. Reedon said it was the kind of game he would want to play, and he was curious about putting players up against this very non-traditional narrator. Now
1: he's going home. Now he's coming back to work. One might even feel sorry for him, except that he's chosen this life.
0: The game was built on the seed of one question— what would happen if you, as the player, could disobey the narrator? Reedon said his design document for the game was, quote, mess with the player's head in every way possible, throwing them off guard or pretending there's an answer and then whisking it away from in front of them. So, yeah, he's a pretty fiendish guy. Reedon has enlisted Bright to do the narration for all versions of Stanley. Although narration is a tiny fraction of the work that goes into a game like this, Reedon said he credits Bright with fully 50% of the popularity of Stanley. It's his light and breezy nudge-nudge-wink-wink style that keeps you invested as a player.
1: In his mind, he can go on fantastic adventures. From behind his desk, Stanley dreamed of wild expeditions into the unknown. Fantastic discoveries of new lands. It was wonderful.
0: Stanley plays like a choose-your-own-adventure game on steroids with a philosophical twist. Much of it feels like the very experimental Bandersnatch episode of Black Mirror, where you were able to choose the direction of the narrative using controls made available through Netflix. There have also been some DVD-based games with menu-driven options that create this same sense of changing up the direction of the storytelling. Allowing Stanley to choose doors or select between different button combos creates this same sense of directing the narrative. Stanley also likes to play around with topics of fate and predestination. The narrator is constantly questioning Stanley's choices, not just in the game, but in life. The Stanley parable tells us that maybe you'll find a way to an ending, but it's also possible that no matter what you choose, you'll always end up in the same place. The first iteration of the Stanley Parable was delivered as a free modification for Half-Life 2. It was made available July 31st of 2011. The original included six endings. The response was good, and Reedan wanted to create a standalone version. To do this, he taught himself how to develop on the Source Gaming Engine. The first wide distribution of Stanley was the 2013 remake. This one added 10 more endings and seriously amped up the graphics over the Half-Life 2 version. It was released through the Steam Digital Video Game Service on December 19th of 2013. Steam and other sites like it are the reason we don't have Babbage's or GameStop at the mall anymore. An ultra-deluxe upgrade, which added a huge amount of additional content and endings, was announced in 2018 for a 2019 release. Technical delays combined with pandemic delays moved this release off to April 27th of 2022. April 27th is a nod to Stanley's employee number, 427. Stanley contains a lot of the feel of severance. The endless, empty hallways are a given. Finding unique or unexpected things in different rooms is also a hallmark of Stanley. He doesn't find any baby goats, but he easily could have. Stanley also touches on the topics of being satisfied with what you do for work and why you've chosen your particular job. The idea of an unseen other directing what you do is a topic being explored in severance. The Unseen Other is the narrator in Stanley. In Severance, this feeling of control from elsewhere becomes either from Keir or your Audi or even your management when you are on the severed floor. As in Innie, you don't have a lot of control over your own life and movements. And Innie's life is a lot like Stanley's. There's even a scene in the Stanley Parable where Stanley is directed to push certain buttons based on screen prompts. The buttons don't react as he's told they will, but he keeps pushing. You realize he has no idea why he's doing it. At one point,
1: the narrator says to not push the next button. But he won't listen to me. He won't stop. Here, watch this. Stanley, the next time the screen asks you to push a button, do not do it. You find out that if you
0: don't, there's no way to advance the story. You, as Stanley, are ultimately forced to push the button. Sound a bit like refining those numbers in MDR? I think there's a strong correlation. On the Severed Floor, it's easy to be a Stanley unless you choose to go against the rules and directives. We've seen our enemies take steps to go against the unseen narrator and try to change their fate throughout season one of Severance. What they're doing is a lot more dire and dangerous than Stanley's repeated attempts at escape, but the path to freedom does wind up being about the same definitely check out Stanley in some version. It won't take long for you to see how Severance and Stanley share a lot of the same DNA. You can play Stanley pretty easily on a Windows or Mac desktop or laptop, and the new Ultra version is supposed to be available on the major gaming consoles. If you don't want to commit to buying a game, at least check the playthroughs on YouTube. It only takes five minutes to get the gist of it, but beware, you'll probably wind up staying an hour because you want to see what happens and what happens next. I have one more topic before we call it a day, refiner. This one concerns me personally. I realize I've never discussed my Audi life, but I am a recently retired small business owner. I ran my own advertising and marketing shop for 25 years, and I was closed down by the pandemic. Before that, I spent 11 years in an advertising agency, and before that, I spent 7 years in radio. I started in radio at age 15. Throughout my life, I've been involved with creative development, audio production, and performance. It's not a big leap to go from a career like that to podcasting as a retirement hobby. I do this for fun. My wife paints and does needlepoint. I produce podcasts. I love the writing, the research, the editing. I can easily spend 50 or 60 hours writing and producing a single hour of the podcast. Yes, it's a lot of work, but for me, it is also a lot of fun. The thing is, I don't know if you've noticed, but I chose about the worst possible economic window to retire in. Between the stagnating stock market and inflation significantly shrinking my retirement nest egg, I've made a decision. I'd like to make my retirement hobby into my retirement side hustle. This is in response to many of you who have asked me, why aren't you making any money off this? Okay, let's give it a try. I've started a Patreon for Severed, the ultimate severance podcast. You can find my page at patreon.com slash severed pod. That's patreon.com slash severed pod. If you want to make a note of it for your Audi, I'll shut off the code detectors for today. Any support is greatly appreciated. If you've enjoyed the podcast, think of it as an audiobook. If you'd pay 20 bucks for it on Audible, make a $20 payment on Patreon. Or if you want to help me keep the servers humming, sign up for $5 a month. I'm not sure what kind of extras will be in store for Patreon subscribers. I know we're going to do something. I might leave a lot of that up to you as subscribers. Guaranteed, we will be talking a lot about severance as a group. I really want to make this side hustle thing work because I'm having a great time making Severed and I loved producing the WKRP cast. I'm looking forward to producing Severed for season two. Once we have a season two, I also might be starting on another classic series. If I'm making some money from this, it's easier to justify podcasting instead of considering something like going back to work. And speaking of Season 2 of Severance, there was some huge news this week. The sag after strike is over. There will be some startup glitches, but everybody is now greenlit to start making stuff again. Keep an eye on the Severed Facebook page for the latest updates on production schedules and potential release dates for Season 2. Thanks for joining me for these Origins episodes. I will keep you posted as I look into future Origins titles. Make sure to get over to patreon.com slash severedpod and subscribe. All right, Refiners, it's time to get out of here for the day. Please exit via the elevator. And remember, as always, stagger your exits.
1: You've been listening to Severed, the ultimate sevens podcast. Severed is written, produced, and hosted by Alan Stair.
0: Severed is not endorsed by Red Hour Productions. Endeavor Content or
1: Apple TV Plus. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Severance, the Severance logo, and all video and audio of Severance and Severance characters are registered trademarks of Red Hour, Endeavor Content, Apple TV Plus, or their respective copyright holders.
0: Please make sure to leave a five star rating and review for Severed at Apple Podcasts.